3: All right, Pharrell on the bench on a pain-free Friday with you. So Mark Berman was the guy that uh, did the uh, story in the New York Post, and I'm friends with Mark. He's cool. I respect him. But he basically wrote, if, if point guard Chris Paul makes his way to the Knicks via trade, sources have said Anthony's likely to want to follow. Anthony and Paul are close friends and are dreamed to playing together on an NBA team. Both are have been represented by Knicks' president, Leon Rose, when he was the head of uh, CAA in terms of basketball chief. A source said that Rose is into having Anthony return even without Paul. The Knicks have explained expressed interest in Paul. The Thunder are looking to move the veteran as they continue their rebuild. He averaged 17, six and five. Obviously we know what he did in Portland. Uh, mellow. I thought he was incredible. Now I'm not doing this, uh, story because this is some kind of like, you know, we're talking about the Knicks on a, uh, you know, night when the Dodgers are playing in a must win game and there's tons of college football tomorrow and NFL on Sunday. It's just that it's simple is that, uh, Chris Paul, there's been talk of him going to the Knicks. Uh we've heard it before, we're hearing it again, and now we're hearing if he goes to the Knicks then the Knicks want Melo back and then Melo and and CP want to play together. And um look, if if Melo came to the Knicks and dropped 15 a game like he did for Portland and and Chris Paul was dropping those numbers, which you know, I doubt he'll drop on the Knicks. Uh, The Knicks are they're a disaster. So I think the Thunder are better than the Knicks, without a doubt. Right. So like the Thunder make the playoffs and they're tough. The Knicks don't make anything except uh, losses. That's what they make. They make like losses like they make bagels in New York. Okay. so uh, the bottom line is, is that if he could give him 15 a game and six or seven dimes and three or four boards, every single night with Melo giving him 15 and then the leadership that those two would give the kids like R.J. Barrett and uh, Mitchell Robinson and what they have. I think that the team would actually uh, have something at least worth seeing, worth watching, and uh, maybe it'll come to fruition. Brad all right, on the bench with you. So uh, the Dodgers down 2-1 to the Braves in the sixth. Runner at first, nobody out. Seager's up. And, of course, he already hit one out. So uh, that got him on the board. They were down 2 nothing in this game. Astros have already won. Forcing a game seven tomorrow. Morton is definitely going for the Rays. Looks like McCullers, I could be wrong. For the Astros, uh, see if we can shore that up before the end of the show. But uh, Dodgers have to, you know, they got to score. <laughs> I mean, they, they're down a run and it could have been worse. Remember, Azuna uh, scored that run, but they nailed him, leaving the bag early at third on the great shoestring catch by Betts. All right, we bring in our uh, college football insider, good uh, friend Jerry Hinnan. He's been on the bench forever. And we always love talking college football with Jerry, and particularly on Friday nights uh, over the years. And we bring him in now on the bench to talk uh, about just that. How you doing, Jerry?
2: I am doing great, Scott. Uh, college football, you know, it's, it's hanging in there. Uh, we got some really, really great games this weekend. Obviously, the big one with uh, Georgia and Alabama. Uh, I think tomorrow, we've had some great Saturdays. The last few weeks, like the noon slate, especially last week, uh, with just the points explosions in every direction, uh, was a high point. It's like, okay, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is college football. We've got it. You know, things suck in so many directions right now, but uh, we've got this. um, And I'm, I'm really expecting, hoping for another really, really great Saturday tomorrow.
3: Well, I'm sure we'll get it. Uh, Let me start by asking you about, do you feel uh, that after Saban passed that uh, test on Thursday, and then I'm sure today as well, that he's got any chance at all of coaching in that game against Georgia tomorrow? Do you know any? News about whether or not he's going to be able to do it, because all week long, late in the week at least, people were under the assumption that he would not be coaching.
2: Yeah, well, let's talk about the SEC's protocols. Like they put out a document in August that said basically, like, here's what we're going to do in the event that a uh, a coach, I know, and I think a player, to test positive, Uh, then they have a second test. Okay, so Saban tested positive. This was on Wednesday. Uh, second test Thursday came back negative. If that happens, uh, then they test again 24 hours later. If that also comes back negative, then you get a third test after that. So, so that test would be tomorrow, I'm assuming. I haven't seen a very specific timeline for this, but I assume You know, we're talking about Alabama football. We're talking about Nick Saban. It's going to be pretty early in the morning since we've got, you know, the game of the season uh, slightly later on in the afternoon. Uh, If that comes back negative, according to SEC protocols, they would assume the first positive test would have been a false positive and he would be cleared to coach. Um, You know, so we're kind of talking about, like, how fast can we get the test done? How fast does the result come back? All this sort of stuff. Again, I assume we're talking about Alabama football. This will all be executed as quickly as possible. So we're talking about, well, what are the chances that his first test was a false positive and then that these two, or excuse me, was a real positive And then these two follow-up tests have been false negatives, that the testing has basically been wrong. You know, if... The first one was a false positive. What does it say that uh Bill Byrne, the Alabama athletic director, who also tested positive at the same time with his, you know, positive also false. Uh, it's an extremely confusing situation. Uh, I am not an epidemiologist, Jim. I am a football dude. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure what would happen. I am leaning though towards Nick Saban actually coaching this game. Um You know, I think we all understand that uh, if Saban gets that third negative and the SEC protocols say that it's okay for him to go out on that field with his team, you know, not just for, like, any old – I mean, he probably would be out there if they were playing Kent State. uh, But they're not playing Kent State. Uh, They're playing Georgia. If there's any way for him to be on the field, I think we know he is going to be on the field. You know, again, I don't know – I have no idea what the odds are that the test was a false positive and that these other ones are correct. Uh, But, you know, at this point, after these couple of negatives, uh, I would lean in the direction of him, you know, more likely coaching tomorrow than not would be my extremely uneducated guess.
3: Well, do you think, like, if he were to, let's say, uh, if he were uh, to not coach and it was Sarkeesian, who do you like in that game? And then if he does coach, who do you like in the
2: game? Yeah, uh, man, it's so tricky because Alabama's problems right now are not on the offensive side of the ball. Steve Sarkeesian's side of the ball is doing great. Uh, Gain 95% of their possible yardage against Ole Miss last week. Every drive they had ended in a touchdown except for one that ended on the Ole Miss 40 and one they fumbled on the one-yard line. They gained more than 600 yards. They only left 41 possible yards on the field. Like, they either drove to the end zone or they left, like I said, those two drives that ended short. Uh, So 95% of the possible yards that Alabama could have gotten against Ole Miss last week – they got that's how good that offense is playing right now but that's almost how bad their defense played uh lane kiffin's offense chewed them up i could not believe that i was watching an alabama defense that you know it wasn't even putting up resistance at times like it was easy for the rebels um now we got to give you know lane kiffin some credit first of all i'm sure he pulled out every trick that he had, like every bit of knowledge that he had about Alabama's defense. Uh, that game was obviously very important to Lane Kiffin. Uh, so, and Ole Miss has a lot of talent on that side of the ball. They hung up 42 points at Kentucky the week before. Kentucky's got a good defense. Uh, that's a strong offense at Lane Kiffin's coaching. That still shouldn't happen to an Alabama defense. So th- my question is, if Nick Saban's not on the sideline, if, He cannot adjust in the middle of the game, uh, in a game this big, the way he would like to because, uh, you know, he cannot communicate with his coaches, et cetera. You know, how does that affect Alabama? Part of me wants to say, you know what, this is such a well-run program. Nick Saban is so detail-oriented. He has run through so many possibilities with his team, missing practice this week. I don't think probably affected them all that much. He was there via Zoom. Uh, he probably had one of these Arrested Development type surrogates with a guy, you know, with a microphone who he's just telling what to say. Uh, you know, I don't think it probably hurt them at practice very much. But in the heat of a game, if he's not there, I think it's going to hurt their defense. And it doesn't look like their defense can be hurt right now. I don't think they can afford that. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a very close, very competitive game. And, you know, my instinct is to say that whether Saban is on the sideline or not may have that exact material impact. If we say that he's going to have a one possession difference, it's a three point difference. It's maybe a one touchdown difference, whether he's on there or not. That could decide this ball game.
3: So uh, just so we're clear, uh, Betts just got caught in a rundown uh, between second and third. And uh, the bottom line is they still got the runner or they still got the batter to second uh, while Betts was going back and forth between second and third of the rundown. They eventually got him out. There's two outs now and they still have a runner at second and they're going to change pitchers. And it's top of the six, two outs, runner at second, Muncie's going to be up. We're talking to Jerry Hinnon. We'll talk about the rest of the action in college football on Saturday and keep you updated on this BYU-Houston game that's going on right now in Houston. Last time I checked, Houston was up 17-14. We'll give you an update on that and uh, talk about all these games tomorrow with Jerry. we all back with you on the bench. Uh, Jerry Hinnon's talking college football with us. Jerry, what do you think the Pac-12 and Big Ten are thinking, watching, you know, uh, the SEC have all these uh, COVID positives and teams having problems, uh, Saban, you know, what he went through this week and Ole Miss. And yeah. uh, they've all had – they're starting to have problems left and right. and. What do you think, like, Larry Scott and these guys like Kevin Warren, you know, that run these two conferences are thinking about uh, their decision to, you know, uh, decide to play football after they had decided that they weren't going to play football at all. And then all the pressure that they got, they buckled.
2: I think they're <laughs> probably thinking uh, the schedule is not going to work. I mean, the Big Tens, you know, try to play, what, 10 games in 10 weeks, something like that. There's, I don't think they have any buys built into their uh, schedule. I think they are planning on playing games They're, like during championship week. Like The championship game is going to go off with the two division winners, and then I think the other teams are going to play games for God only knows what reason. Um, but I think that's like the – if I'm not mistaken, that's the only leeway they've got built into their schedule. I, I don't understand why they didn't just play in the spring. Like If you want to have a football season, I understand that like obviously we all love football we all want to reward you know the kids who want to play all of that you you have to make that decision either play in the spring or play in the fall uh, in a way they tried to thread the needle basically where they said well we're going to try and wait until you know we see if we can do it in the fall and then we're going to suddenly you know say yeah we're going to do it this fall Instead of like waiting to the spring, even though we were going to wait to the spring, we've changed our mind. That timeline doesn't work. And we're seeing why right now. Like, yes, the Big Ten and the Pac 12, we've had testing improvements. We can now test daily. They've got the money to test, you know, God knows how many times, uh, which we're seeing there's more problems in the group of five game, uh, you know, conferences, more cancellations, more postponements because you know, probably the money is not there to test as frequently as there is in the SEC, the Big 12, et cetera. But, you know, uh, it's not like Florida and LSU is postponed for this week. It's not like Florida and LSU don't have the money to test, you know, uh, every hour on the hour if they really want to. Uh, You know, I don't know if the capacity nationally is there for testing like that, but if they could, they would. That's how much money they have. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 are not going to be able to test any more frequently, any better than LSU and Florida are testing right now. And LSU and Florida got postponed anyway. Uh, We're already seeing, you know, unfortunately, another, it seems like another COVID surge is coming our way. Wisconsin uh, in the Midwest is one of the states that is being hardest hit right now. Cold weather, you know, the Dakotas are also being hit. Cold weather seems like it might have a factor in this. I don't see how the Big Ten is going to make this work unless they just end up playing a seven- or eight-game season. I think they had to choose one or the other. They had to play in the fall and announce that in August, or they had to play in the spring. They tried to thread the needle. I don't think it's going to work in the sense that they're going to be able to play a complete season. I think they'll play some games. They'll play five, six, maybe seven. uh, But a complete season, the way they have it scheduled right now, I don't think is going to work.
3: You know, uh, I saw Indiana, my alma mater. Had uh, they're they're like sixty million in the hole already. Their athletic department that they're losing money yeah. left and right. Uh, Houston up at the half. 20 to 14 over BYU. All right, uh, Jerry, let's, uh, and, and SMU won an overtime over Tulane, uh, 37-34 on the road, and they are 5-0, and I believe. Is that about right, or are they 6-0 and now? I think they, they're 5-0. No, yeah,
2: SMU's, right? un- they're undefeated. I don't know if it's 4 or 5, but they're undefeated.
3: All right, so um, tomorrow there's, you know, really, uh, they've postponed a lot of games, but there are still some really good games. now. Uh, we've already talked about Alabama. The game that I like, uh, that I think is going to stand out above all the others in terms of being crazy is that uh, UCF uh, game with Memphis at Memphis. By the way, the Dodgers just hit a huge home run, and they've taken the lead on the Braves. Will Smith, it's now 4-2, Dodgers in the sixth. So they got a bunch of runners on. I think this guy just uh, jacked a uh, uh Three-run homer is what it was, and it's 4-2 to two now. They were down. Smith threw it to Smith. So Smith the reliever, Smith the hitter, and he jacked it to uh, deep left field. A three-run blast to give the Dodgers a lead. And boy, did they need that because they're facing an elimination, and suddenly they've woken up. All right, so UCF and Memphis in Memphis. I like that game a lot.
2: Uh, what do you think, Jerry? I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Um, Two years ago, UCF was coming off the undefeated season. They were the favorites. Memphis lost to them by a single point in the regular season. Uh, They went, I want to say, into overtime or into the dying moment in the uh, championship game of the American that season. UCF won again. I think that really stuck in Memphis's craw. Uh, Those were two absolutely heartbreaking losses against the team that at that point was the class of the league. Memphis did win. Uh, the conference last season, but they did not get to play uh, UCF. Like, they weren't on the schedule because of the cross-division thing. Um, and then UCF didn't even make the, uh, you know, American Championship game. And it ended up being Cincinnati last year uh, that they played. So uh, this game, I think, has been circled on Memphis's schedule for a long, long time. Uh, Brady White is their quarterback. He's very – I mean, every quarterback, it seems like, that comes through Memphis uh is really good. Brady White is another one. They've always got skill. Uh, I think they're going to get this one. I think they've got it circled. UCF, you know, Josh heupel's a great coach. Uh they've always got a lot of that overlooked talent from Florida. But that loss to Tulsa a couple of weeks ago. Tulsa that's a team they really ought to beat. Uh like UCF has more talent than Tulsa, so they still lost that game. Memphis lost a tough one. I think the SMU but I think this is really one uh, that Memphis is going to want. I think there's going to be a ton of points scored. Like I said, these were instant classics when they played two years ago, and I absolutely agree. If there is one game you would want to like kind of take the time out to watch, that wasn't Georgia Alabama. Uh, I think you could do a lot worse than Memphis UCF. So
3: Miami and uh, Pitt at the Hard Rock in South Florida, and it was 13 and a half at one point or another with uh, Miami favored over Pitt. I've I've said this a few times this week. I remember when uh, Miami beat Notre Dame at the Hard Rock and blew them out in front of a, a packed house. And then they went to Pittsburgh the next week and got beat by Pitt. Pitt's always giving Miami problems. Are they going to give him problems again tomorrow night? I guess I think tomorrow a competitive afternoon. Game.
2: I, yeah, uh, it, uh, it's uh, noon or Eastern, uh, 11 a.m. Right. Central. I, I think Miami's going to win this game. I think this is a great test for Manny Diaz. You know, Miami, obviously, they lost to Clemson last week. They weren't close to beating Clemson, but nobody comes close to beating Clemson. Like, that's really not a shame. Uh, so the question is, does that loss – how do they respond to it? Are they hungover? Do they say, ah, you know, crud, our regular, you know, our undefeated seasons ruined and you know, blah, blah, blah. Or do they come back and say, all right, we're angry. We're going to show that that one game doesn't define our season. um, And this is where Manny Diaz is going to earn his money because as you point out, Pitt is one of these teams that will lose to anybody at any time, but they also will beat anybody at any time. Um, You know, I, I think we remember the Clemson game from a few years ago. Uh, You know, 13 points, 13 and a half points, it seems like a lot for, you know, just your standard sort of ACC coastal game. But I do think Miami's going to win this game. Uh, De'Eric King was – I feel like he's the quarterback Miami's been looking for for a while. Like, that is the guy who will make plays, who can put an offense on his back and do things that the quarterbacks we've seen in Coral Gables the last few years have just not been able to do. I think Rhett Lashley was a great hire. You know, I watched him call plays at Auburn for a long time. Um, and if you give him a quarterback as dynamic as the Eric King, uh he's gonna be able to make some things happen. We saw that in the Louisville game. I honestly think Louisville's a little bit better than their record right now. I think they can give Notre Dame a game this weekend. Um, you know, I don't know if Miami's going to cover the 13 and a half. This looks like a 10 to 13, right in that range game for me, as long as Diaz has them ready to play. But I think he will. I think they're off to a good start. I think Miami should still have that confidence that we saw at the beginning of the year. I love the Eric King. Uh, I do think they're going to win that game.
3: So do you think the, uh, Kentucky Tennessee game is going to be better? Or do you think the, uh, you know, uh, I'd be willing to say the AM mississippi State game I, I'd throw out there as, uh, on paper looks like a good game. Which one do you think is going to be better, that uh, Kentucky game with Tennessee or the A&M-Mississippi State game? I got 90 seconds, respectfully.
2: All right. Uh, I would watch the U.K.-Tennessee game. I love Kentucky's offense. It's the old school. It is run, run, run. Terry Wilson, the quarterback. Uh, is a dynamic player. The other thing is I don't think Mississippi State's going to be able to hang with Texas A&M at all. Mike Leach, it takes him time. Uh, whether it was Washington State, Texas Tech, he did great things in those places, but it took him time to get everybody up to speed. Yes, they beat LSU. Uh, KJ Costello had 8 million yards, but LSU's defense is an atrocious. It is a train wreck right now. Like uh, Ed Ordron himself called it an embarrassment. Uh, I think you got to kind of throw that out the window. I think the two points that they scored, so basically zero for the offense last week at Kentucky, I think is a better indicator. Uh, you know, Texas A&M may still have a little bit of their hangover from beating Florida, but I don't think Mississippi State's going to be competitive in that game. I really like Kentucky's uh, defensive line against Tennessee's offensive line. Those are two very good units. Uh, I think Kentucky-Tennessee is going to be a very good game. I would I would lean towards kentucky Uh, with the six-and-a-half in that one.
3: All right, so uh, there's a lot of other good games uh, I'll talk about in a little bit with you uh, on the show. Uh, Jerry, great stuff. We'll catch up in a week, maybe two at most, and get you back on the bench and talk more college football. Enjoy all the games tomorrow, all right? It's going to be an awesome day. All right, there he is, Jerry Hinnon, our good friend, college insider uh, on the bench. Dodgers with the lead now, 4-2 over the Braves. In the bottom of the six, nobody out, nobody on so I was talking to him about a m and Mississippi State or whatever, and comparing it to like Kentucky and Tennessee, the game that I really think will be better than. Uh, both of those games, believe it or not, uh, and I think I'm right about UCF and Memphis being the best game of the day, BC and Virginia Tech and Blacksburg. I, I know that's a big line, 13, tech, heavy favorites. I just have this feeling that's going to be a game uh, in Blacksburg, and I think it'll be better than that. I really do. I think, uh, you know. Vatex going to win the game. but I took BC in the points. I got him at 11. If it's at 13, I like him even more. So uh, just in terms of all the games, like FIU and Charlotte, Florida International at Charlotte postponed, Vandy at Missouri postponed, uh, Southern Miss, UTEP postponed, Oklahoma State, Baylor postponed, LSU, Florida postponed, Cincinnati, Tulsa postponed, expired, expired, expired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here's the rest of them. Notre Dame and Louisville at two 30 on uh, NBC. Notre Dame lands 16 and a hook. I like the Irish there. Clemson and uh, Georgia tech in Atlanta. Bobby Dodd. Clemson laying 27. They got a win by four touchdowns. Not going to be easy. I'm willing to try it though. I, I just do not uh, believe Georgia tech. If you think Miami had problems against, Clemson. What do you think Georgia Tech's going to have against Clemson? I don't care where they play the game. I think Miami will win. pit will cover. Auburn and South Carolina. That game's at noon at Williams-Brice in Columbia. Auburn's laying three. Tough place to play. Going to the seventh now. 4-2 Dodgers. Dodgers coming up. Kentucky and Tennessee and Knoxville at Neyland. And it's uh, Tennessee laying six and a half. I got it at six. I think it's, you know, I took Tennessee and laid it. I think it's a dangerous way to make a living right there. Navy and East Carolina. I took Navy. I laid two. Texas State and South Alabama. I took uh, South Alabama. I got it at two. Uh, Now it's three and a half. South Florida and Temple. Uh, Temple, uh, I got it at 10. Now it's 13. Everybody pounced on it at 10. Liberty and Syracuse in uh, Syracuse Liberty laying in uh, two and a half. I like Liberty. I got him at three and a half and laid it two and a half. a half's even better. West Virginia laying 21 and a half to Kansas. I like West Virginia there. Army and Texas, San Antonio. I like uh, the eight spot with Texas, San Antonio to cover army to barely beat them. They might even lose that game. UAB and Western Kentucky. I saw this game too. UAB and Western Kentucky. I know I put that game up. Oh, there it is. I like UAB and I took Western Kentucky on the road with the 13 and a hook uh, with the points. The Hilltoppers. Duke and NC State. I had NC State laying the four and a half against Duke in that UCF Memphis game. I got it at. Uh, Memphis getting three and a half. Now it's two and a half. I like it a lot better at three and a half. Central Florida going to have a hard time tomorrow in Memphis. I like Central Florida to win, but not cover the three and a half. And then Ole Miss and Arkansas. I like Ole Miss uh, laying one and a half at Fayetteville. I mean, if you can put up 600 yards on Alabama, and change, how can you not go to Fayetteville and win? I mean, honestly, if you put that kind of a beating on Alabama and that defense of of Nick Saban's, how do you not go beat Arkansas? And I've heard all this I can take. Arkansas is playing really well this year and everything else. I don't care how well they're playing. They're not playing anywhere near what Alabama is, and Ole Miss put a number on them. I mean, they just rung them up. They didn't win, but they gave them nothing but problems. So they should beat Arkansas. It's that simple. Eastern Kentucky and Troy. Troy Troyland, 28. I got a 27 and a half. I think they'll cover A&M and Mississippi State. I took A&M, but I got six and a half with Mississippi State. Now it's five. You know. I mean, five's dangerous. I got to tell you, I, I actually think AM might cover the five, but not six and a half. Fair enough. Georgia Southern uh, laying 31 to UMass. I got it at 28, and I like it at 28. 31, you're starting to get sketchy. West Virginia, or excuse me, uh, Virginia at Wake, the Cavs at Wake. And Virginia is laying one and a half. I got it at two and a half when it opened. I like wait to beat them at home. And then Middle Tennessee laying six to North Texas. I I think Middle Tennessee wins, but North Texas covers the number. I got it at seven. Marshall and Louisiana Tech. Marshall laying uh, 13 and a half. I, I actually like Louisiana Tech with the... 14 that I got when it opened. It's 13 and a half. I still like it at 13 and a half. Look, they're three and one. They're at home. Marshall's better. Marshall should win. I don't think they beat them by two touchdowns. I really don't. North Carolina, Florida State, North Carolina laying 13 and a half. I got it at 13. I like North Carolina to do whatever they want to Florida State. And then all those other games got postponed. I'm just looking at, uh, there you go. I gave you every uh, game that I'm doing in terms of uh, college football tomorrow. Everything else has been postponed. So anyway, uh, they're in the third quarter now. It's Houston 20-14. to 14. BYU's moving the ball. They're over midfield. They're at the Houston 46, but it's third and 15. That's what I'm seeing. And it's uh, BYU down six to Houston early in the third. SMU already beat Tulane. 37 34 on the road. uh, And SMU's unbeaten. They win it in overtime. So that was a huge. Last night, uh, Arkansas State beat Georgia State in a wild game, 59 52. I thought Georgia State made some stupid calls at the end, the third and fourth down bombs. When they were, it was third and five and fourth and five, and you're throwing bombs. On both of them, like thirty-five yard, forty-yard passes down the sideline on both third and fourth down. What are you doing, bro? You're moving the ball the whole game, and all you need to do is keep moving the ball and go down and score and and send the game into overtime. Instead, you throw two bombs back to back. How bad was that? I, I just don't understand that. You need five yards. You don't need forty. What are you doing, bro? You just I thought the head coach, offensive coordinator, whoever made those calls, cost them the game. They, they led that game. They were in that game the entire game. They were in that game. I had Arkansas State, but I still thought uh, in terms of uh, – I think I had uh, Georgia State with the three-and-a-half. They didn't cover, but I had Arkansas State winning. And uh, I hit SMU and Tulane both ways. I hit Coastal Carolina on Wednesday night with that seven spot. So uh Coastal Carolina beat Louisiana on the road 30 to 27. That was Wednesday night. Thursday night. Last night was the Arkansas State, Georgia State game. And tonight, uh, we've seen uh SMU win in overtime and BYU uh obviously um down six right now. So I don't know what happened. They had a flag or something. They're at midfield. I think they got a procedure delay a game or something. I haven't been watching. I'm on the Dodgers uh Braves, still. Dodgers in the seventh. They're up. And now I switched on the football game, but they're in a break. So we know what's going to happen in terms of uh, this one. I still want to get your opinion, Mafia. I know you told me on the show you like Lomachenko, but tomorrow night, I I just think it's phenomenal that that fight is on ESPN and you can actually watch it because to me, that's a pay-per-view fight for sure. I know tonight I started watching the Tank Davis, uh, Leo Santa Cruz. Uh, Showtime uh, special, you know, countdown, 24 hours, whatever the hell they call it. Getting ready for their fight on Halloween in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. That is going to be a great fight. Uh, the money team, Mayweather Promotions, uh, Giovanna Davis taking on, uh, no joke, a badass, Leo Santa Cruz. Both of these guys are champions, and they mean business. And then, you know, those are two great fights back-to-back. And then Spence, Danny Garcia in Dallas at Jerry's World. This is craziness, but who do you like uh, tomorrow? Uh, Lomachenko, you said you think that he's going to win the fight. I'm going with Lopez in a massive upset. He's plus three thirty. I, you know, I think Lomachenko is an absolute ruthless killer. There's no denying he's incredible talent. I, I think he can win every fight he fights. I think it's hard to bet against him ever. I've never bet against him once ever, uh, and I'm going to bet against him tomorrow. I'm just going to take a chance with that, you know, pie being that big at three thirty. And you're talking about a dangerous character in Lopez. This guy is no joke. He's evil. He knocks people out and he's violent and he's crazy and he wants a piece of this guy. Now, Be careful what you wish for, Mafia, but I think Lopez is going to be the toughest fight Lomachenko's ever had. I could be wrong. Lomachenko says he wants to go 12 rounds and just mess with him and beat his ass for 12 rounds. He doesn't even want to finish him off early. He wants to go the distance and make him suffer. I don't think he's going to make Lopez suffer. I really don't. I think Lopez is too dangerous.
4: Yeah, I don't think it's about suffering. I think it's about that he knows how powerful the kid is. And if he goes in there and looking to get the knockout and try to beat him down and try to play his game, he knows he's not going to win that fight. You know, the fight that he needs to fight is not the one of getting in there and slugging it out. You don't want to get in a phone booth. He needs to use that great footwork he has and dance a little bit. He needs to move, get in there, get some points, get back out make the, you know before the kid hits him. He needs to frustrate this kid and make sure that he doesn't get the shots that he wants to get off on Lomachenko because he's got nice power. He's got a nice pop. He's a little younger, a little stronger. I think Lomachenko knows that the way for him to fight this is not to try to beat him down, but to try to drag it out and outpoint him because that's the safest bet for him instead of getting in a phone booth and letting this kid pummel him.
3: So uh, tell people what you're going to do in this uh, UFC card tomorrow night in terms of, uh, I know your picks will all be on on PharrellOnAbench.com, but in that uh, main event, zombie against Ortega.
4: Yeah, I'm going zombie. This one It's a hard one because Ortega is a guy who's only lost one fight ever and it was against Max Holloway for the title two years ago. So it's not like this guy has ever been there and had a lot of, you know, stuff. He has to come back from a lot of losses. You know, he's as opposed to, you know, next week's headliner and Gatchy, who's had a bunch of losses to guys because he would just go in there and brawl. Ortega's a guy who's a very good fighter, was undefeated before just getting beat down by Holloway. But he's a tough guy. He didn't call out in that fight. The doctors stopped it after four rounds. He wanted to keep going, even though he was getting beaten down more than most people should or most people could. The thing, though, is for me, he switched camps. And now the only coach he had that's been around him for a long time, and one of the Gracies, Can't go because he tested positive for COVID. You're going halfway across the world after pretty much two years off because they were supposed to fight this fight last year, and he had a knee injury. So you're coming off the beatdown. You're coming off a knee injury after that. You're coming with new coaches. I just think, you know, everything's a little easier for Korean Zombie right now as far as he's going to travel less distance. He's got the people he's used to being with, and he's going to fight his fight. He's a good counter puncher. He's going to let Ortega come at him and, you know, just try to beat him up for a couple rounds. It's a five-round fight, so that adds to the damage you're going to take, too. So I'm going with the Korean Zombie. Even though Ortega is a guy who's a great fighter, Korean Zombie's the favorite. And then after that, we're going to have to see where it goes from there because uh, I'm also going to go Korean Zombie plus 160 on the card. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook has plus 160 as the odds boost on Zombie getting the knockout KO. Other fights, I might not have done that a three-round fight, but being that it's a five-round fight, I'm going to give him the credit that those extra rounds are going to add to you know him getting more shots in there and end up taking out Ortega. And then after that, it's, uh, you got Andrade versus Chukagian. Chukagian's a bigger fighter in this, despite Andrade going down in this weight class from where she used to be. Chukagian's going to be about 8 inches taller. She's going to have like a 6-inch reach advantage. So that's something that's going to be dangerous in most fights, but Andrade, I think, just like the Korean Zombies, a fighter that just doesn't care what you do. She's going to come towards you. She's going to come at you and she's not going to stop until she gets her hands on you and she doesn't really get finished off. So I think, you know, she needs to get a little bit of a quicker starter than she did against Nami Yunus in her last fight. But I like her to do that. I like her to come in strong here and I like her to take this win over Chukage. and Probably going to go the distance. FanDuel is all about it being a long term, uh, you know, fight here going all the way. So I'm going to go with her and you get the double shot at better odds at her winning by TKO T- K- points. So we'll see how that goes tomorrow.
3: All right, so uh, I think Seeger just did it again, a two-run shot, his fifth home run of the postseason. Second home run tonight, it's now seven to two. Dodgers, they're rolling in the seventh. A two-run two, route, two run blast. Uh, lucky for me, I got the Dodgers and Astros tonight. I've been on fire uh, hitting these baseball games. Uh, Morenci's next with Sports Rage. What do you think of the Astros winning again and the Dodgers saving face tonight after they were down two zip, Gabe?
0: I don't think much uh, enough is being made of the fact that Will Smith hit a home run off a dude uh, named Will Smith. And what's even crazier, what's even crazier is they're both white, Um yeah, you know, like honestly, like it's got to be the first time in baseball history that like a batter faced a hitter uh, with the same name. I got to believe it uh, or at least hit a home run. Will Smith versus Will Smith. Um, yeah, Dodgers just adds a little bit more insurance. And, you know, we got high drama in the baseball playoffs that have kind of been flying under the radar with everything else that's going on in the sports world. I actually do think Houston are going to come all the way back now. You know, I, I, I heard Randy Cross many years ago talk about, um, you know, Joe Montana and Steve Young. He was talking about a quarterback situation. He said, you know, when you're a quarterback in the NFL, you're the man until you're not the man. And, and you know, in gambling and in baseball, it's the same thing. You're hot until you're not. Right and everything Tampa did, Scotty worked. They caught everything. They hit everything. They cashed in. Great pitching. Great defense. Great plays. You know, Margos flipping over freaking walls and stuff. Right now, what's happening? They're booting baseballs. They're striking out. Wild pitches. Pass balls. Right. You know, they're I don't know. They're falling apart at the wrong time, and Houston's uh, peaking at the right time. They I don't think are the ice cold. Beat
3: them. And they're ice cold. They can't hit anymore. They're hitting a couple home runs here or there, but they're not hitting any other time. They're not getting guys on base or anything. All right, Marenzi, have a great weekend. Check out Sports Rage next. And get all my uh, pain day pros uh, at PharrellAndAbench.com. All the colleges there, the UFC, the boxing, all of it's there. Have a kick-ass weekend. See you Monday at 4 on Coast to Coast. Shake it. Ooh.